0: Cultivating Place is made possible in part through the generosity of the Caddo Shaw Foundation. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. In our ongoing exploration of who gardeners are, where gardeners are, what they're growing in this world, and why that matters to all of us, I'm so excited to be joined this week by Brent Legs. Senior Vice President of the National Trust for Historic Preservation and Executive Director of the Trust's African American Cultural Heritage Action Fund whose mission focuses on telling the full American story. It's a very personal but also universal love story of the heritage and history held in our places and the importance of that fullness to all of us. Brent, what incredible work you're doing. I'm so honored to welcome you to Cultivating Place.
1: Thank you. Glad to be with you, Jennifer.
0: So I've given you a little bit of an introduction, but I'd love to have you introduce yourself one more time. What do you do and where do you do it?
1: So I use historic preservation and the power of place to build a true national identity that reflects America's diversity with the goal of centering black American contributions of the core of American democracy. And I have the good fortune of doing this work in partnership with black and brown communities across the country. And so part of the effort is really leveraging historic preservation as a tool for equity and social justice.
0: I can't wait to get into more about how this intersects with me and my listeners and our uh strong love of the garden and landscape and uh and land and plants. So before we get there though, I want to go back a little bit. I want to have you tell us a little bit more about your personal evolution. When I saw you present, you presented on a landscape that was being preserved. And you've just given us a powerful kind of mission statement for your work and and what you are doing in this world. But Maybe share with us the people and places and and plants or landscapes that grew you into a person for whom this would be your calling and passion. Like where were you born and raised? And, and who and what brought you to this place, Brent?
1: I was born and raised in Paducah, Kentucky. And I'm always surprised how many, how many individuals has has heard of Paducah, but it's a small town in Western Kentucky and lived in a red brick ranch style house with my parents. I have a twin brother. I'm five minutes older than my twin, which is a world of difference in twin time. I also have a younger sister and we were blessed to have parents that were committed to our education, our discipline, our social life, and my mom and dad were avid gardeners my dad had probably about a half an acre of a of a garden that he tended to every season and he grew watermelon and grapes and strawberries and okra and squash and i just remember being a young kid admiring the design of his garden and the way that he nurtured the land and service of of this beautiful and colorful food that would be born out of his hands and 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 that land my mom was an avid gardener but her tool was plants and she would have some of the most beautiful flowers that that framed our house and us kids would support all of that work by pulling weeds and picking up sticks and and tilling the ground and and it helped us to have a deep connection to nature and it's interesting that my work today in historic preservation as i look back on my formative years and my childhood years that I now can make the connection between nature and culture and place. Mm -hmm. And part of the ongoing work of historic preservation is to be more inclusive and holistic so that the land and the architecture are working in harmony to tell a more holistic story Mm -hmm. about humanity and human experiences.
0: Yeah, yeah. And this is not a new uh, line of inquiry and animation for my listeners. We've had some fantastic conversations with garden scholar Abra Lee, with uh, another landscape designer and, and scholar out of New York, Wambui Ipolito. So I think that listeners uh, understand what we're talking about and are following with us, and, and I'm excited to get into how you are doing what you are doing and the criteria you're using. But I also know you have a pretty illustrious educational uh, resume behind your name and your work uh, that fall between that red brick house and that beautiful grounding childhood uh, in now and the work you're doing tell us a little bit about your your career and educational pathway from then to now Brent. because people really i think are invigorated by these stories and are inspired by the many different ways we get from our childhoods into the futures we really want to envision
1: i always knew that i would go to college And it was an ethos in our family home. And my parents had set that expectation. And I always thought, because my mom would describe me as being contrary. And and in her words, if she said the sky was blue, I said it was postmodern gray. And, (laughs) And so we all thought that I was going to go to law school. And when I went to the University of Kentucky for undergrad, I explored every single program imaginable, from law to medicine to engineering, and after dedicating too much time to exploration, I, I wanted to, to graduate and ended up getting an undergrad degree in marketing, and decided to go directly into to obtain an MBA, and I received the Lyman T. Johnson Scholarship at the University of Kentucky, which is named after the first African American to integrate the university. And I was attaining a MBA in finance and felt honored that I would be walking in the footsteps of this groundbreaking individual. But when I graduated, the viable option for my career was to go to Wall Street. And when I was searching for jobs, nothing seemed to fit my personality. Nothing resonated with me. And I started the soul searching process of of looking for other educational programs because I loved studying. I loved learning. And in essence, I was good at going to school. Yeah. And and so I looked at a PhD in philosophy and history and those didn't seem to fit. And then I learned about a furniture making program inside of the College of Design. And I thought, wow, this will combine a lot of my interests, allow me to use my hands, express my creativity. And while I walked inside of those halls, I had a random, unintentional conversation with Dr. Dennis Domer, who was the chair of the graduate program in historic preservation. And and in our 15 minutes he would learn that i loved history i was interested in real estate development and he advised that if i went into the program as the first african-american that i would understand tax credits and understand the kind of social and cultural connections to place and that i could harness this to make a lot of money and And so I took this leap of faith. And three months later, I was learning about architectural history and iconic and gothic columns. and I started to question whether or not I made the right decision. And thankfully, I was invited to conduct the statewide inventory of historic Rosenwald schools wow. in my home state of Kentucky. And that changed everything for me
0: wow. i love I love all these storylines. I love the idea of, um, the furniture making tying into like what we actually labor at physically and the possibility of philosophy and history and then historic preservation and how these all come together uh in, in what you're doing now what a beautiful storyline and what a universal
1: yeah i like, agree yeah
0: serendipity
1: <laughs> i am i'm an accidental preservationist and you know when i look back at my childhood my family never discussed historic preservation in a formal sense but when i look back at the work of the historic church that we attended in that second or third offering to to have the funds to restore the historic roof on the historic church or every year when our family attended our family reunion at the historic farm and we would take time to go to the cemetery and mow the grass, that that was a form of cultural conservation. So as a family and as a community, we had this ethic for cultural conservation. We just didn't have the language. Yeah. And so it's exciting when I look at my career that has moved this work from an informal basis to a more formal practice, and I receive so much joy working with my colleagues and, and so many well-intentioned grassroots preservationists
0: mm-hmm.
1: who aren't equipped to advance stewardship planning or to support the perpetual preservation of historic places and helping them to understand how to do this complex work is really exciting.
0: Really exciting. Yeah. For listeners who aren't familiar, explain what those schools that you were first asked to inventory, explain the historic importance of those.
1: So Washington Rosenwald Schools is the largest school building program of the 20th century. This program was born in the mind of social educator Booker T. Washington, who founded Tuskegee University. Mm-hmm. He would collaborate with Julius Rosenwald, who at the time was the second president of Sears and Roebuck. They expanded the mail order business. He would be the Bill Gates of his day. And he had a social philanthropic mindset and understood had empathy for the plight of African Americans during Jim Crow, and together they would help to fund the construction of over 5,000 school buildings in 15 southern states. And during my research, I would learn that George Washington Carver was the de facto landscape designer, that Robert Taylor first licensed african-american architect and graduate of mit would be the first designer of the school building plans and that my parents both my mom and dad would attend washington rosenwald schools in kentucky (sighs) and i remember being at a rosenwald washington rosenwald school that was literally being held up by a tree and as i toured this building i had this multi-sensory experience with the physical evidence of our past and what i mean by that is i could see sunlight shining through broken window glass panes i could smell literally smell the decay and deterioration within the material culture and i could hear the creaking floorboards as i walked inside this forgotten and abandoned building and as i exited the backside. The sunlight hit my face, Mm -hmm. the warmth of the sunlight I could feel on my body. And I just remembered that I was having this transcendent experience and that preservation and its kind of untapped power was spiritual. And what I mean by that is that by preserving these schools, we reduce the gap between space and time and that my family's legacy was directly tied to the social activism of Booker T. Washington and Julius Rosenwald. And because of this physical history still standing, I could literally touch and manifest that connection. And ever since that moment, I have wanted to understand the deeper meaning of why we preserve place and how history And the lessons and wisdom embodied in these historic places can create power for us in the present.
0: This is Cultivating Place, I'm Jennifer Jewell. Brent Leggs is the Executive Director of the African American Cultural Heritage Action Fund, a program of the National Trust for Historic Preservation. Launched in 2017, this program makes an important and lasting contribution to the American landscape by preserving sites of African American activism, achievement, and resilience. Through this preservation effort, the largest ever undertaken in support of African American historic sites, the Action Fund works to tell the full American story. Stay with us, we'll be right back after a break. Cultivating Place is made possible in part by the Cato Shaw Foundation, funding initiatives that empower women and help preserve the planet through the intersection of environmental advocacy, social justice, and creativity. Thanks to a generous matching grant from the Cato Shaw Foundation for 2024, all of your donations to Cultivating Place go directly toward helping us meet that match. All contributions help. Go to the support button at the top of every page at cultivatingplace.com to chip in. Thank you in advance for supporting this program you love to grow with. Hey, it's Jennifer. Doesn't this conversation and this work strike you as a perfect valentine for a better world? Wow. I love it. We're back now to our conversation with Brent Leggs, the executive director of the African-American Cultural Heritage Action Fund. As we come back, Brent shares more about how his graduate work in preservation studies eventually led him to the National Trust for Historic Preservation.
1: Yeah, so my journey... Started with the National Trust, I received the Mildred Kolodny Scholarship in the second year of the program, which allowed me $15,000 tuition assistance. I got to attend a national preservation conference. At the time, it was in Denver, Colorado. And I interned in our Chicago office working on an affordable housing initiative in North Lawndale. And that entree to the national leader in historic preservation, being the National Trust for Historic Preservation, created an opportunity for me to apply for a position in our former Boston office. And Wendy Nicholas, who was the director, she had a shared vision that the National Trust needed to make greater inroads with preservationist working to preserve and interpret historic African-American places from Maine to Delaware. And so I accepted this position. And thanks to our partnership with the 1772 Foundation, we developed the Northeast African-American Historic Places program. And it was a sophisticated seven-part framework. And we had substantial impacts. Following that, I was invited by the National Trust to work out of our headquarters in Washington, D.C. And during that time, I would be the lead project manager for several multi-year preservation campaigns. And as an outcome, we would protect in perpetuity Joe Fraser's gym in Philadelphia,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Madam C.J. Walker's estate in Irvington, New York. Amazing. This place stands as an elegant historic residence that embodies American entrepreneurship associated to America's first self-made female millionaire, right. who is Madame Walker, who would invent hair formula to black women's hair grow and be healthy and would become a, an early pioneering entrepreneur. We also would work in Birmingham, Alabama, advocating for civil rights national monument and memoriam to the spring of 1963 and it was a joy to work with the city and advocates like 16th street baptist church the birmingham civil rights institute and others and we would help to protect a vacant 20-year vacant motel called the ag gaston motel that is at the heart of this new national monument. So all of those activities helped me to have the credentials and the experience for this unforeseen moment in 2017 when Charlottesville happened. Mm. And it was it was a moment where culture, heritage, and public spaces collided in painful and violent ways. Yeah, And those events did not express our organizational values. But it was an opportunity for us to demonstrate that preservation was more than storytelling, that through our practice that we can have a positive impact on society, and that we can begin the overdue work of honoring the full contributions of black Americans to our nation so that all Americans begin to understand black humanity. Mm-hmm. And our bold vision at the time was a five year, $25 million campaign to help preserve and interpret 100 Black Heritage sites nationwide. And I'm proud to say that we've just celebrated our sixth anniversary. Woo! We, (laughs) yeah, six years, six productive years of, of building a revolution and renaissance in his preservation through our important partnerships with organizations like the Ford Foundation, the Mellon Foundation, to JPB Foundation, Lilly Endowment, Getty, and others, we have raised almost $100 million. We've established a $14 million endowment to continue the national leadership of the Action Fund in perpetuity, and we've supported 273 grantees at an investment of more than $21 million. And we're just getting started.
0: Just getting started. And it is a revolution and a renaissance, and it's fantastic and generative. So uh, well done on all of that. Like an amazing, an amazingly productive six years. In your goals and in your criteria, How do you determine um, and find the locations, the the people behind those locations, and what determines which ones get priority? Like that must be a very challenging triage in a way, Brent.
1: It is. And so when we had our idea of a $25 million campaign to help 100 Black Heritage sites nationwide, it's quite interesting the way that some of these projects are are put on our radar. Me and my colleagues, we feel that our work is not only a service to the nation, but it's a calling mm-hmm. for us. And sometimes it's universal intervention where places like the Gaston Motel or Madame Walker's Villa Loaro is literally just brought to us through random conversations, and we are able to to intervene and and help protect places. We also invite funding proposals. And over the last six years, we have received almost 6,000 funding proposals requesting almost $700 million. So this not only helps us to understand that historic African-American places continue to be underfunded and undervalued, Mm -hmm. but it's a substantial data set so that we can understand cultural themes, trends, opportunities, and threats impacting this segment of the historic preservation movement. And and I'm fortunate that I have 14 full-time staff with expertise in architecture, business, public history, preservation practice that is working daily with communities to help advance stewardship planning and short-term and long-term preservation priorities. But across the National Trust, the Action Fund is our largest, it's our largest program. And there are a lot of colleagues across various departments that help to direct this work. I think when I, as I think about the future in our next phases, our ambitions are growing. And the big dream is to establish a $200 million endowment that would allow us to have $10 million of annual investment to support a baseline of financial infrastructure for management, for programming, and overhead. But the need, based upon our data, is that we need a billion dollars of investment to help this part of the movement catch up and to help preserve these historic places before we accelerate the ongoing erasure and loss of American history.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So
1: it feels like we're at an inflection point now that the National Press is turning 75 in October of 2024 that our movement is maturing, it's becoming more diverse and equitable. Yep. And I'm really proud of the leadership role of, of African and other diverse professionals in driving social change within our field.
0: Definitely, definitely. And it is a perhaps overdue and long-needed long, long needed change, and I am so proud to see it happening because I do what I do and I love what I love Brent. My next question is going to be you mentioned architecture and and we're talking about places. Is there any kind of framework or criteria for landscapes, for gardens, for for, you know, anything to do with the environment around or or near these places? I remember your presentation on the Coltrane home and working on that landscape around the home. Uh, but are there others? And is this part of your framework?
1: It is. We value the role of land and the landscape, which holds memory and how we can excavate those stories through documenting the land and its connection to human life. We have a couple of projects that really represents the importance of the landscape, like the Emmett Till and Mamie Till Mobile National Monument, which President Biden established in July of 2023. And we were the lead kind of senior project managers with a coalition of advocates in Chicago and Mississippi advocating for this new unit of our national park system that would tell a profound story of the overlooked contribution of Black women and uh, the American Civil Rights Movement. It would tell a story of racial violence and political injustice. And it also would center the just remarkable role of institutions like a Black church and advocating for a more just and equitable society. But as we were advocating to the Department of Interior and National Park Service, it was clear that the Tallahatchie County Courthouse in Mississippi and Roberts Temple Church of God in Christ in Chicago, that these two assets would anchor the storytelling and the interpretive experience. But we thought it was an oversight not to include the landscape. Mm. Like, how could we speak to the Black lived experience in Mississippi without the landscape telling its story? And we advocated that Graball Landing, which is where his body was dumped into the river and his body was recovered, this is now the third asset and component of this new national monument. Another example of nature and landscapes is the Ann Spencer House and Garden Museum that's in Lynchburg, Virginia. Yeah. And this place is so special.
0: So special.
1: Yeah, it's it's this beautiful vernacular garden that was developed and designed by Ann Spencer, who was a librarian and a civil rights activist. And she and her husband, Edward, would host the who's who of black civil rights luminaries during Jim Crow. And Anne is an acclaimed poet as part of the Harlem Renaissance and the new Negro movement. And she loved to write her poetry surrounded by beauty and her garden. And thanks to the work of her granddaughter, Sean Hester Spencer, she is leading the effort of preserving and stewarding the historic house and the garden to tell the full history of this site. And and so there are so many different places where the land is being leveraged for both interpretation, but also activated for public programming.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and we'll be catching up with Sean in just a few weeks, which will be a, a wonderful update to the work that's been going on there for years. When you look at, and, and I, I just like, as you were saying that about the Ann Spencer house, I thought that must make your parents really happy. Like both mother and father, everything comes together right there.
1: It, yeah. No, I was just going to kind of follow up on that and, and say that, you know, my mom passed away in 1990. And so I was still in in high school and thankfully my dad is still around. And I remember there were times in my preservation career where I wasn't making enough money to live in a major city. And, And I was wondering if my grand ideas would manifest and my dad would always say to me, Brent, persevere. A time will come where the ideas that you have for creating transformation in this industry will bear fruit. Be patient and persevere. And so I think about that in the context of the historical figures that we help to honor, how they persevered through injustice, racialized American society, and still were able to create places of refuge and sanctuary or to make achievements in business and entrepreneurship and science and and advance innovation in various fields i just feel so honored to be one of those those innovators in the work of historic preservation
0: This is Cultivating Place, I'm Jennifer Jewell. Brent Leggs is the Executive Director of the African American Cultural Heritage Action Fund, a program of the National Trust for Historic Preservation. Launched in 2017, the Action Fund works to expand all of our understanding of American history through the preservation of sites of African American activism, achievement and resilience Stay with us. We'll be right back after a quick break. Hey, it's Jennifer again. So how are you holding up to winter and the general state of our world where you are? Are you hanging in there? Some days it's hard to know, right? With the ongoing dirges of war, injustice, economic insanity, environmental insanity and despair, all in an election year, which is its own insanity here in the US, how do we hang in there? I'm not sure, but I know this. We try to show up. We try to live up to what we can do where we are, from our gardens on out. That's what I hear in Brent's voice and in his work. Here in my place, the winter light, winter temperatures and winter weather hold me with their normalcy, their seasonal dependability, even with a tiny sliver of spring showing through on some days when a morning is frosty, but the midday sun warms us and late daylight is gentle. Highlighting the tiny little pipe-vine teapot flowers popping out on their pale green tendrils in the woodland. The golden tassels on the alders spangling the creekside riparia like garland. The first wave of manzanita blooms have passed, but the second wave is out in full right now. Clusters of little crisp white bells shining against white green leaves, hosting the earliest of the bumblebees here. Their deep resonant buzz letting us know they're there. And sometimes that's all we need to know that they, Our longtime friends and companions of plants and bees are also still here, showing up on cue. And we're here, and we'll keep showing up on cue. That's what gardeners do. We get out there, we greet the days, we greet our plant and animal friends, and we keep growing. It reminds us how rich life really is and how abundant the everyday miracles and extravagance of the world all around us. How all we need is almost always right here, sharing with and supporting each other. Happy Valentine's Day, Gardeners. We're back now to our conversation with Brent Legs, Executive Director of the African American Cultural Heritage Action Fund, a program of the National Trust for Historic Preservation. As we come back, Brent shares much more about how this work is regrounding and uplifting people and communities everywhere the Action Fund reaches.
1: We've seen communities begin to see. The cultural landscape that surrounds them through new eyes. That we've gone into neighborhoods, and because of the generational changes over time, they were unaware of the significance of their neighborhood or even the significance of an individual site or landscape, and how they are beginning to relearn who the community is and relearning their civic identity. We also have seen folks who did not see themselves as preservationists Mm -hmm. now call themselves preservationists. And at the end of our cultural preservation leadership summit in New York City that was hosted at the Ford Foundation Center for Social Justice mid-November, there was a an advocate from the hotel metropolitan in Paducah, Kentucky, Miss <laughs> <Ms>. Betty Dobson, <laughs> who stood up. And she said, This is the first time that I have ever felt like that I have found my tribe and that I'm part of a community, that you see me and that you understand me. And it was an emotional moment, not only for her, but for the entire audience. And that is part of the intention our work is not only about reconstructing national identity but it's also to create room through our own understanding of history and social justice so that folks like Miss Betty Dobson or Tedderbro at 16th Street Baptist Church that they too understand that they are preservationist and that their work matters
0: and the importance of this, of elevating what people do uh, more fully and and expanding on it, like this is exactly my mission with my program around the word garden or gardener or gardening. What I'm very hopeful of, right, is that uh, these incredible landscapes that are that are being researched and being found or or being remembered by members of the the horticultural uh, community in its largest inclusion, get up on this radar? How do people say, for instance, our audience listening today, Brent, if they know of a garden or a landscape or a a gardener from the past that they think deserves your attention, how do people get involved? And how do they get involved with talent and funds as well?
1: Yeah, we invite the public to... Send us places via this email and action fund grants at savingplaces.org. That's action fund grants at savingplaces.org so that gardens and other historic landscapes are on our radar and that my team can follow up to conduct some outreach to learn more about the project and the project needs. I also encourage the audience to go to saving places slash action fund news to sign up for our newsletter so that they can receive updates on our progress and our initiatives and programming. And I would encourage the listeners to make a donation and that's restricted in support of our work at the action fund or Donate to a local preservation organization in your community. Become curious about your community's history. Volunteer, tour a site, attend a program, and support these cultural institutions that have substantial stewardship responsibility and that need financial support and just you know, need to be recognized for the impact and value that they bring to each community. Yeah.
0: I think in these moments, in these times right now, exactly where we are, Brent, it is, things are so trying and urgent and overwhelming and daunting in in all that we are trying to keep track of and uh, sometimes we despair but going to this website and seeing this work being done or being proactive in supporting it you are you are gardening you are cultivating the world you want to see and you feel better immediately to be honest um a- and you remember how many people are on the ground doing this kind of growing kinds of of work so, When I go to savingplaces.org, I see how rich this work is and complex. If you could give us a kind of explanatory overview of the kinds of places you're focusing on and the programming you're doing, how would you explain that, Brent?
1: Yeah, so beyond our national grants, we have priorities through initiatives like Preserving Black Churches, that's a partnership with the Lilly Endowment, $20 million investment to help preserve the oldest institutions in America founded by black people, which is the historic black church. Mm -hmm. We also are working in partnership with the Getty Foundation on a new initiative called Conserving Black Modernism, where they have invested $3.2 million And we are investing in 16 preservation projects designed by Black architects of the 20th century in the modernist style as an opportunity to amplify and uplift the overlooked contributions of Black modernism. And another example would be our partnership with the National Endowment for Humanities and others around our. HBCU Stewardship Program, where we have partnered with 25 historically Black colleges and universities and are funding campus-wide preservation plans and individual building plans to equip HBCUs with the knowledge to advance asset management and interpretation of of these historic places. And we're excited about the early progress of these programs and want to continue to collaborate to scale them up so that over time we are supporting the stewardship of institutions that represent Black history Mm -hmm. and culture.
0: Beautiful, beautiful, great places to start. Did I by chance hear of a big grant recently going to Tuskegee for, for, their landscapes? Was that your work? I feel like I just read about some great grant getting gifted there.
1: Yeah, good good job. So yes, we just funded Tuskegee University to develop a landscape plan that Mm. looks at the impact and to identify solutions for climate adaptation and resilience in the landscape. And we were excited about this plan to support the conservation planning of Tuskegee University's landscape. And the one of the components includes solutions for climate adaptation and resilience. Mm-hmm. And we're excited that this project has the potential to become a replicable model for other HBCUs as they begin to develop stewardship plans for their cultural landscapes.
0: Beautiful. Well, I'll tell you what, you're going to get a follow-up call from me in about a year to hear how that project is going.
1: That sounds great. Look forward to providing an update on this.
0: That sounds great. I would love it. I would love it. When you look back, right, at your your long history, going back to your parents and the ethos they ingrained in you, and then you see everything that you have uh, with the help of many others, brought to fruition. Brent, what are some of your greatest hopes for for the next five years of this work and how it lands in our world? But besides the fundraising goals you've set, or uh, are there other, are there additional hopes you have
1: in the next five years beyond continuing to have. Fundraising success and and impacts on a human level. We want to shift behavior, and we want to facilitate a increased awareness of Black humanity. We hope that all Americans will begin to see themselves and their history in the historic African American places that surround them, and I think. Probably most important, we want to really harness historic preservation to facilitate truth, education, and racial reconciliation. And if we can advance preservation as education, as healing, as the opportunity to make amends, and finally, As a pathway to instill pride within the Black community, so that we are reminded of our value, contribution, and our inheritance that has been earned over four centuries as as members of this society, that will be a tremendous benefit and impact to our nation.
0: Beautiful, you know, and I. I noted in the beginning of the conversation that you included the idea of black and brown communities, of of diversity in general, of making this work relevant to all kinds of communities as well. And, and in what you just said, the importance of this work actually helping to educate and amplify all of our understandings, not not anyone, but all of us. And this is one of the ways in which I find uh, the the space, whether that's a philosophical space or a physical space of the garden, to be such a useful healing and hopeful space because it is a common ground. This idea of a of a cultural landscape is a a common ground for humanity to to meet. are you a a gardener there in um, Washington, (laughs) D.C., Brent, Legs?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, in the sense that you described earlier that I am gardening and tilling and, in essence, birthing, you know, this new part of our, our movement, yes. But in the practical sense, I love being surrounded by plants and there's something that Feels universal, and I love the connection. I love talking to to the plants that I have at my my condo, and and the kinds of plants that I surround myself with. I love lilies. I think they're just really beautiful, and love the, the colors, and, and like fig leaves, and and also moms. I think are oddly beautiful and reminiscent of of african american hair
0: yeah yeah
1: and i know this might sound a little odd but it just reminds me of of an afro and there's something for me kind of uh culturally connected to the design and the beauty and shape of of a mum and when i look back to my childhood i just remember the first time i saw a sunflower mm. In my grandmother's garden and at that time it towered over me and i just remember seeing these rows of sunflowers and the way that they kind of tilted over at the top and they had these deep colors of gold and brown but also that height and it just from that memory on i've just always understood that nature and gardens must play a role in our lives. They had a healing property, and that it's okay to be surrounded by beauty. So
0: beautiful. And I love that sunflower description because they, of course, are fantastic habitat for wildlife. They feed us, they give us beauty, uh, and, and their size reminds us, maybe, hopefully, of our place in the world, which, uh, if we're lucky, is in service to something bigger, like a sunflower. Is there anything you would like to add, a, a story or a quote or anything to leave listeners um, with the, again, the the joy of this work you are doing in these times, Brent?
1: I will leave you with a quote by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who once said, We are not the makers of history we are made by history i believe that the work that we do today will inform future generations understanding of american history and i also am becoming more aware that history informs who we are And that's why it's important that we preserve and tell the full history of our nation. And I'm excited for your listeners and others to help us do that important work.
0: Thank you very much for being a guest on the program today. It has been a pleasure to speak with you.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Brent Leggs is Senior Vice President of the National Trust for Historic Preservation and Executive Director of the Trust's African American Cultural Heritage Fund, whose mission focuses on telling the full American story. The African American Cultural Heritage Action Fund holds a vision of preservation serving as a potential path for equity. And the fund is actively working to preserve the landscapes and buildings of historically Black colleges and universities, historic Black churches, of the Washington Rosenfeld schools, as well as the homes and gardens of cultural icons, such as Madam C.J. Walker, musicians John and Alice Coltrane, singer, songwriter, and activist Nina Simone and Harlem Renaissance poet and gardener Anne Spencer. The Action Fund is also partnering with community members in Akron, Ohio, recreating a public plaza space to preserve the historic activism of once-enslaved abolitionist and author Sojourner Truth, who delivered her Ain't I a Woman speech in Akron in 1851. Join us again next week when we focus on tending to our houseplant family members and indoor gardening, an activity that comes into particularly pleasurable focus in winter in the northerly climates, although it's a year-round passion. We're in conversation with Jane Perrone, host of the On the Ledge podcast and author of Legends of the Leaf unearthing the secrets to help your plants thrive that's next week right here listen in Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio, a service of CAP Radio licensed to Chico State Enterprises. Cultivating Place is made possible in part by listeners just like you through the support button at the top right-hand corner of every page at cultivatingplace.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. Cultivating Place is also made possible through the generosity of the Caddo Shaw Foundation. The Cultivating Place team includes producer and engineer Matt Fiddler, tech and web support from Angel Haracha, weekly show transcripts by Doolist Transcription, and communications support from Deanna Newpert and Matt Valiga. We're based on the traditional and present homelands of the Machupta Indian tribe of the Chico Rancheria. Original theme music is by Ma Muse. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.